The Fail On Podcast, episode 036. If you're decent at marketing and you've tried X, Y, and Z and you can't make it work, then the market is telling you that, that you're trying to do something that the market just is not interested in. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes leveraging failure is not only the fastest way to learn, but it's also the fastest way to grow your business and live a life of absolute freedom. In a world that only likes to share successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs. This is a platform for their stories, and today's story is of Rob Cosberg. Rob is a marketing and brand building expert, a best-selling author, and a syndicated radio show host that has also done over $250 million in negotiated real estate transactions, Rob specializes now in helping his clients become the go-to experts in their respective fields. Through his trademarked Publish, Promote, Profit program, Rob helps his clients to create their own professional best-selling book and then teaches them how to use that book to grow their income via speaking engagements, free publicity, and lead gen strategies. We'll be discussing Rob's rise and fall in the real estate market and how he regained his confidence and totally rebuilt himself after riding the housing market all the way to the ground. The simple yet effective business model Rob used to promote his first book and build his initial client list. And finally, Rob discusses the bold guarantee and strategy that he uses to separate himself from publishers and helps his clients become best-selling authors. But first, luckily, all I travel with now is a backpack for one reason only. It's clothing from an innovative Toronto apparel company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes made out of merino wool that you can wear for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. So this means I can literally just travel with less clothes and say, clean themselves. Check out the show notes page for an exclusive fail-on discount that you won't be able to get anywhere else. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the Fail On podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. Take us back to the first time that somebody actually handed you money, not necessarily handed you, but sent you money, gave you money in exchange for a product or a service that you created. Yeah. I can think of a couple things. So I'll, I'll go back a long way, right? To the roots Let's first. Let's go. One of my first jobs, I was in, I mean, this is going way back, but delivering newspapers. Mm. And you think, well, that works for, you work for somebody else. But the reality is, you know, I was the kid, you know, the the nine-year-old out in the snow knocking on someone's door and saying, hey, I want my $2. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I needed a, I had like an envelope and I had to send the money into the newspaper. And, you know, I. Doing collections too. I was doing collections, dude. <laughs> I mean, so that, <laughs> that was, that was the first time. My, you know, my, my family, I kind of come from family of entrepreneurs. So, you know, I got my real estate license at 18 and that was really my first experience of like, like kind of being self-employed and, and making some big checks because of work that I did. Now that's again, more of a service than it is an actual product, Mm. but you know, same, I think kind of idea. Because uh, I, I did that through college, paying my way through college, selling real estate, owning a Corvette. I owned three houses at the time. You know, at, at 19 years old, that was pretty cool. So you're, you're <laughs> it seemed like it anyway. <laughs> hustling out of the gate. Were you raised in that kind of like environment where your where your parents 
taught you to be an entrepreneur, taught you to look for opportunity. It was by osmosis, right? Okay. It's I don't I don't know that we ever had a time where I was taught that stuff, but you know, my grandparents owned gas stations in Washington D.C. And so, I mean, they got pictures of me as an infant, like on the hood of the car with the hood open, you know, with my feet kind of dangling in the engine while they were working on the car, right? <laughs> right. So I also grew up kind of a gearhead and, you know, got my first car at 14 and, you know, I had two cars before I had a driver's license. Uh, I grew up in central Florida uh, at that time. So, you know, in, in, in the redneck places, oh, you, yeah. could, you could drive around without a driver's license. Yep. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, I think it was by osmosis. I, I watched them out there hustling you know, with their gas station and bringing people in and, and growing that business. And then my dad, you know, opened up a real estate company uh, when we moved to Florida. And, and the real estate company was, you know, a whole nother avenue of doing the exact same thing. But now it was more about the the service of real estate rather than the service of pumping gas. Right, right. Just different, just different industry. Yeah. Got it. So take us through that journey. So 19 years old. Yeah. Successful already. Yeah. Cars. Where, where'd you go from there? Yeah, you know, I mean, my goal uh, at that time was I wanted to go to law school and, and be a lawyer. Not because I wanted to be a lawyer. Who really wants to be a lawyer? Although maybe there's someone yeah, listening that yeah, does. Yeah. <laughs> Reconsider if you're listening. Reconsider. <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought this is a great way. I, you know, I loved aspects of it. I thought this would be a great way to have my own business. It was all about having my own business and making money. And I started making so much money in real estate and then mortgages that I was like, why am I thinking about doing, you know, going to law school? You know, at that point, I got my bachelor's in a worthless field, you know, political science degree. You're not using that today? I'm not using it very, <laughs> very much. Uh, I try to stay away from politics <laughs> yeah. as much as I can. You know, and then when I decided not to, you know, pursue a law degree, I was actually accepted to law school and had taken the LSAT a couple of times. And when I decided not to, I kind of went all in, you know, on, uh, on mortgage and, and real estate. And, uh, and look, that was super lucrative and had a great run in that and, and really enjoyed it. But, you know, remember getting your license at 18, you know, it was all about the money for me at that point. You know what I mean? I, I was just prior to that, I was a bellhop, you know, bellman at a, at a hotel, a nice hotel in South Florida. It was a intercontinental hotel and we had like a lot of celebrities come and go. So I made like really big tips, but I had never seen a check like when I sold my first house. And I was like, I mean, this is as much money as I would have made all summer. And I made pretty good money as a bellman. And my second month, I sold five homes. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is great. You know, this is easy. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, so it was all about the money. As you as you get a little bit older, it's like, okay, I think I can make money in different ways. And it becomes, at least for me, maybe I'm a slow learner, but it became more about the meaning also. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, which we were talking about that before. Right, right. So... On this real estate journey, did you have that realization while you were running this company, or did it? Did this company come to? Did it? Did it? I mean, where was this company at when you started having the realization that maybe there's more to it than this? Oh, I was. Cr we were crushing it. Yeah, we were doing fantastic, and it, it was like uh, golden handcuffs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. I was making too much money to walk away from. Yeah, it. and and of course I was also living the lifestyle. Yeah. You know that so expenses were high. Oh yeah, <laughs> expenses were high. I was enjoying the money. I owned yeah. real estate all over the place and had, you know, nice cars and a big home and you know kids in private school and all that. But I was like, ah, uh, you know, I mean, this is not, 
you know, I'm, I'm pushing through, you right. know, it was, it was a grind. I was looking for an exit, uh, not quite the exit I had, but I was looking for an exit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, so, I'm only laughing because we talked about this beforehand, but walk us through what that exit looked like Yeah, and what happened. Yeah. I mean, it looked like the financial crisis. I was in South Florida and 2007, eight. Yep. Yep. The, the companies all in the two thousands were, were crushing it. We did a lot of advertising, but in those days, everybody was making money in real estate, which is always a bad sign, right? If, if you find something that everyone's making money in, run, because eventually it's going to collapse. And so everyone was making money in real estate at that time. And our companies were doing over $100 million a year in transactions. I had three primary businesses, real estate sales, mortgage lending, and then the actual title escrow. But of course, they were all wrapped up in a house having to sell. And um, when the financial crisis hit, the kind of real estate that we were doing, which was primarily primarily luxury property, that lending market just shut down completely. And home values in Palm Beach County, which was where I lived and worked, that you know that market got hit fifty to sixty percent drops in value. Which who would have thought? I mean, you know that that had never happened before in in my lifetime, and it may never happen again. Certainly not not like that you know, just totally blindsided by it. We saw maybe a dip coming, but not something to that effect. So when the when when lending shut down, then the only houses that were selling were cash. And, and that meant that there was a glut of inventory and supply and demand. So the whole thing kind of collapsed on itself. So that ended up being my exit. You know, I had, I had 25 employees and 6,000 square foot of office space and desks and phones and computers. And, you know, there I am sitting in my office by myself you know, with people coming because I put an ad on Craigslist to come take my stuff away and they're buying it for, you know, five, 10 cents on the dollar. What was it, your mindset at this point? I mean, what, this is, this is like, this is your first real setback, right? Like in, yeah. in terms of your business journey? No, absolutely. No yeah. doubt. So, I mean, how low is that low? I mean, were you financially on the personal side? Fine. Even no, though okay. I was not because yeah. I had I had held on way too long. I invest I took money hundreds of thousands of dollars out of my savings to keep the business going thinking that this can't keep going this way. Right. This it'll, ha- turn, it'll turn around. This someday. has to turn around and so we rode it all the way to the bottom. And whereas I had millions of dollars in equity sitting in in these houses, by the time we rode it down there there was nothing. And so I was selling and and just uh, getting out of it because they weren't cash flowing. I've kept some of it that that was, but you know most of it you know was gone at that time. And so you know it was it, my mentality was desperation. You know, I mean, I was I was desperate to and take care of my family. Expenses and, were still high. Like like you're telling me you have kids in private school. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. It's amazing how much you can pare down mm. when you need to. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So I pared down massively. and But yes, ultimately, expenses were still high because I still had kids in private school. I still had, you know, cars to pay for and my mortgage and, and those kinds of things. We were able to pare down quite a bit, but still had a lot to take care of. We weren't, it wasn't like we were, you know, completely flat broke. We had We had some means, but, you know... I mean, no safety net, no safety net at all. So from there, what was kind of your process or how, I guess, how long did you, were you in that kind of space where, you know, like you said, desperation? Yeah. Like, were you just trying to figure out how you reacted? Were you kind of deflated? Like, oh, Oh, business is brutal. I don't want to do this anymore. Or was it like, okay, I got to figure out 
I got to figure out how to get my way back. You know, I guess a little of both. When you experience something like that, your confidence really gets rocked. And, you know, I don't, I don't lack confidence, but I did then. And so, so it was, it was a punch in the gut, you know, and hard on the family. I've been married a long time and generally got pretty big shoulders. Like I can take a lot, but, uh, but it was hard on us really hard. I mean, you know, we, you know, we, we took art off the wall to sell, to have Christmas presents. You know what I mean? I mean, and, and stuff that we spent 50, a hundred thousand dollars for that we're getting five or 10,000, which by the way, it's much, much better to buy low than it is to sell <laughs> low. Okay. Just so I say that, Just that's clear. Uh, I, I often think about the people that bought my stuff and I think, you know, getting a hell of a deal. That should be me. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I should be the guy that is helping bail somebody else out and getting a hell of a deal instead of the guy that's getting bailed out. Now, look, at the at the end of the day, I'm thankful that I had that art to take off the wall. But really, <laughs> painful, really, really painful. So my confidence, it, it, it was a couple of years of going through this. And what were you doing in the meantime? Because obviously you didn't have any income coming in at that yeah. point. Or did you have some properties cash flowing, you said, a little bit? Uh, a little bit, but no, I didn't. Not I didn't, substantial income. No, I, I needed to, uh, I went through a, a year, maybe a year and a half period where I went from owning these companies to now just hustling real estate. So I didn't sell real estate, but I did mortgages. And, you know, the, the mortgage market that shut down was, you know, the kind of higher end luxury market. So all that was left were people buying investments, which a lot of that was cash. Or people buying like, you know, first-time home buyers and that kind of thing. Which, you know, I mean, it's something. But the reality is, you know, there's a big disparity between someone buying a million-dollar luxury home, which that's a luxury home in Florida. It's not a starter home where I live in Southern California. <laughs> and I know right. you're familiar with that in, yeah. in San Diego. But, you know, I mean, people are buying, you know, $200,000 houses and I'm financing it. And, you know, I'm, I'm again, you know, I'm grateful for every every bit, but I'm... I was out there having to hustle mortgages. Different ballgame than what totally you were used different. To. It was it was um, survival. It was totally survival because I had been out of that business for a long, long time and been in the ownership space. So it wasn't like I had tons of relationships and people were just sending me business. No, I, I was like starting over, and uh, and I was starting over in something that I didn't want to be in in the first place. So I, I I had about a year and a half period where I was doing something every single day that I. Just did not want to do. I hated, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hated, but I needed to make the money. And so I was desperately looking and had a plan. Didn't know if it would come to fruition, but had a plan for kind of the next iteration. Mm. And so from there, where where did it go? You had, so you, you know, you hustled, you got back up on your feet a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hustled and I, I kind of, you know, didn't drown, kept, kept my head above water for a couple of years. I transitioned out of that into uh, financial services. This was 2009, end of 2009, so maybe a year and a half, year and a half, not quite two years after I closed my real estate company. And during that period of time, I was in the process of writing my my first book, which, again, you know, that was because of having some great advice and people around me that could help to, you know. That wanted um, you to share your story because it was... Share my story, and that also saw this as a a way for me to really transition into a new thing, and and create some authority. When I was advised that, and because I had asked a couple of, I was in a couple of like business mastermind groups with some really successful people, 
and uh, asked them, you know, if they were in my position, explaining everything, being honest, what would they do? And both of them had said, completely separate of each other, that they would they would write a book. And I had never thought of that before, but that seemed to ring true when I started thinking about people that were were real authorities in in the space. So you know, I I made a lot of mistakes, but you know that that book became the foundation for my next business, which which really took off. Thank thankfully to the book. What did that transition look like? So you you wrote the book. Yeah. Did it do well? It did. It did well. It became a bestseller. How did you, how did, how were you able to promote it like that? Well, I mean, first time writing a book, what was that process like to to actually make it successful? Because a lot of people write books, as you know, that don't sell. The book got me PR. Okay. And so I didn't know a lot of things to do, right? And there weren't a lot of the tools and certainly social media, et cetera, you know, at that time that there is available to us today. But what I figured is the message is timely because it's a financial message. And if I can get this in front of people, then people will be interested both in me and in the message. And I did that primarily via radio. And, um, you know, I felt like, you know, in, in, in this, you know, golden handcuff period of crisis, you know, prior to losing the, the companies, I was thinking, you know, what are the things that I enjoy? What are my gifts? And one of those things I always felt like was speaking, presenting. I love people, being in front of people in some way. And my book gave me the ability to do that with radio. And and it worked. You know, I mean, it maybe didn't work the first time or the second. Maybe it did. I mean, I, I, I can remember the first couple of shows that I got on. I didn't pay for radio airtime or anything. I didn't have the money. It was all about just, hey, you know, I'm the author of this book. This is timely. You know, hey, let's let's get me on for two or three minutes, and I'll really answer some questions and share some things. And Were you hustling that? Was that you reaching out oh, to these? Oh, heck yeah. There so was no one else to a, you, didn't, no. you didn't have a publicist. No. I was, I was everything. <laughs> okay. I was the assistant, the publicist. I was everything. And yep. so, no, it was me. It was me hustling. It was me sending the book out. It was me getting in front of the program manager. It was me making the follow-up telephone calls. And and it was me, you know, getting on the radio and, and doing my thing. And, you know, I, you know, we I shared about this. I mean, there's tons of free plus shipping, quote-unquote, book funnels. Yep. At that time, I don't know if there were or weren't. I don't remember there ever, ever seeing it. Right. But that's what I did. I offered my book for free for anybody listening and I would ship it to them for free because I just felt like if someone is interested in this book, yeah. then I can help them. And and at least a percentage of them, if I can get them on the telephone, I can, I can make them a client. And what were you selling them? We did a number of different things that all revolved around financial services. So it might have been... Uh, that they needed some mortgage help. Got it. It might have been that they needed some help with, you know, an annuity or an IRA or an insurance policy, or it might have been that they had debt help de- or debt issues that they needed some help with. Got it. And so, you know, it was, if they want this book, there's answers in it and there's answers with me. Sure. So, so the book was based around your experience in the financial yep. services. 100%. Okay. Got it. Got it. And then, so the people interested in that were obviously, yeah, it's now today it's commonplace, right? But right. back then to give your book for free, probably like, what? what you, yeah, free book and was it free shipping? 
uh, yeah, I shipped it to them for free. <laughs> what did amazing. I know? I just I just wanted their name, yeah, yeah. their telephone number, their, yeah, their address. Right. I, I just wanted that. And actually, for years, that was our model. I mean, we shipped hundreds uh, a week to people for free. It still sold via um, you know, various other sources, but we shipped hundreds a week and eventually I had a whole sales team. And our whole process, I mean, it wasn't like rocket science. I mean, literally... Our sales guy, you know, or, or one of our salespeople would get on the telephone and say, you know, uh, hi, Rob, I just, you know, I see that you requested Rob's best-selling book, Life After Debt. Listen, do you have a moment? I just want to confirm your address. Confirm the address and then say, hey, look, while we're on the telephone, why don't you tell me what's going on? Is there something going on that maybe I can help you with? I'm one of our account managers here. And that was it. And then it was a consultative sales process. And we closed about one out of 16, every 16 books we gave away. I don't know if that's good or bad, but at the end of the day, you know, it was a five to $10,000 sale to my company. And so, so worth it, right? <laughs> well, heck yeah. I mean, you know, 16 books to give away is 80 bucks, including yep. shipping. Yep. And yeah, we were, you know, paying for ads by right, then because right. we were further down the road, but you know, 80 bucks to make a five mm. or $6,000 sale. Yeah, no brainer. All day. All day. That's and, good math. And we did it all day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we did. As you should have. <laughs> so, yeah. so going from that, so you're, you're, you wrote that book, turned it into basically, it sounds like a consulting type business. Yep. Yep. Where'd you go from there? How long did you do that? It sounds like it did well. Yeah, the business uh, was, I actually sold it. And so the business is still in existence. Uh, I, I maintained all the book rights and all that, but I sold it about four years ago. Uh, because I was doing bestseller publishing and uh, my financial services business at the same time. At that point, I was only kind of the face of the business. In fact, I was living in Southern California. The business was based in Florida. So I didn't see clients. I didn't talk to clients. You know, every everything was done in the office. But I was, I was still doing radio. I was doing it remotely. And I was still doing all the marketing for the business. So, you know, I... I fell in love with what I was doing with bestseller publishing and decided, well, how about I, if I just sell the business and I focus all my attention on on the publishing? So what made you get into the bestseller publishing side? Because obviously you had that experience yeah. from publishing the book. Yeah. What made you say, hey, I can, I can turn this into a business as well? You know, ultimately it was demand. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that this was becoming a business. Uh, never had an idea about that. I, I still remember you know, talking to various people, you know, six, seven years ago, because I wanted to get into coaching because I like to deal with people and talking to them about, hey, you know, I got this publishing thing where people are just coming to me, you know, asking for my help because they saw how well my book did. They saw me go from, you know, failed business to, you know, in a terrible economy to something that was really taking off. And they were wondering, well, how, you know, can you help me to do that? So I, I started helping people. What kind of people are, they? are, um, are these people? Primarily business owners. Okay. So you had a lot of business owners that were coming for various financial help. And so it was you know easy to either transition them into doing some coaching for their business or, or them asking about, you know, tell me about how you did it. And is it something that, that maybe I could, you know, also do? And so I didn't know if we could, but we we started to, this is back in like 2010, and experiencing some success, similar success. Obviously, a lot's changed in the last seven years since we first started playing around with it. But it, in some ways, 
because I don't come from traditional publishing, I was able to come with like a fresh set of eyes. You know what I mean? Like, like how should the book be written and, and how should the book be marketed? And then what, what is the goal? And I always tell our, our clients, the difference between us and traditional publishing is with a traditional publisher, the book is the end of the story, pun intended, right? The book's done, the book's out, they're, they're done. Now you go, because you have a contract, to go sell the book for them. With us, the book is the beginning of the story. The, the book is just the tool that you're going to use to grow your celebrity, grow your platform, grow your thought leadership, and grow your following. Even if it's a fiction book, you can't write one fiction book and retire. It doesn't matter if it's super popular or not. You, you, you have to grow your audience. And so, you know, bestseller publishing, you know, even when we were doing that was still like, ah, do you think this is really a business? Like, do you think that the, the population, you know, like if we marketed this, that it would be interesting to more than just the people that are finding us? I didn't know. And, and so we tested it and did some marketing and it just was like, holy cow, people want help. You know, people need help in this space. What's the business model? How do you how do you guys make money? We're a pay for play, if you will. I mean, we're a service business. So I took a little of my real estate experience, if you will, and added it to traditional publishing in this way. I I paid tens of thousands of dollars in my journey with my book for various things with publishers and marketers and after I started making money. And almost in every situation was disappointed. And I thought, I have no recourse. I mean, you know, they said they would do this. They said they did it. And it amounted to absolutely nothing for me. And I'm like, if we could create a program where we actually guarantee a result for people, and if we don't get that result, we give them their money back, like real estate, right? When do you get paid in real estate? When someone gets keys, right? I mean, you don't get paid for showing houses, you don't get paid for filling out papers. You get paid for exchanging keys. And I thought, if we could do that, then I said, this could be a game changer. And so we did. I mean, we, we've added to it, but we created a process where we guarantee that our clients will now, our guarantee is international bestseller because we launch in, in six different countries. Uh, and we even you know, guarantee PR placement. So we guarantee that our clients, that we'll get our clients on TV, on radio, on media. And, you know, I mean, just no one, no one does that. So it's like, this is, it feels how, how, good. How are you guys able to guarantee it? We just trust our process. Mm. And because you've done it so many times that, yeah, you know, you have the hundreds, you have it dialed in. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when we started the, like the, we didn't start with the PR thing. Our program, which is Publish, Promote, Profit, three phases. The profit phase was more like a coaching phase where we would coach people on how to go out and get their own PR. And I used to have all these publicists calling me and, and telling me, look, refer your clients to me and we'll get them on radio, TV and all that stuff. And I was tempted, but, you know, until I heard the price, generally speaking, it was 5000 bucks a month, typical PR contract, three month guarantee, so fifteen grand. No guarantee at all of placements, zero. And I'm like, so you want me after I just guaranteed that they would become a best-selling author to to send them over to you for as much or more than they just paid me, and you're not going to guarantee anything? I said, you know what? I know I can do this better myself. And so I literally hired my first publicist here, and I said I'm going to set aside like 15 grand as a as an experiment. 
uh, which was out of my comfort zone, right? I'm going to set aside 15 grand. I'm going to, I'm going to just, and I'm going to be honest with this publicist that's going to work right in my office. I said, look, we're going to try to figure this out. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to guarantee we get our clients on radio, TV, et cetera. And she was like, guarantee, how do you do that? <laughs> I'm like, because, because you're going to hustle and we're going to make this happen. And sure enough, it, it worked. And you know, if you hustle, I mean, think about how many radio stations and TV stations and programs and there, there are tens of thousands of opportunities. They need people. All you have to do is hustle, and, and you can get these placements. Because they're looking for stories, right? Of course. And they're looking for credible people. So the fact that, that we're sending a copy of our client's best-selling book, because this is the end of our process, they, they check the credibility mark. They're like, well, these people are legit. And you know they have a full-time publicist that's working on their behalf who has created a media pitch, a segment proposal, and, and done our whole job for us. All we have to do is say okay. You know, so it... I mean, we've had clients on the Howard Stern Show. We've had clients in U.S. News and World Report, the magazine, as well as Entrepreneur Magazine. And I'm not talking about the little digital, you know, where everybody can get a digital article now on entrepreneur.com. But I mean in the magazine. And we have clients on TV every week because if you just add a little elbow grease to a few steps, you can make it happen. Are those needle movers that getting in those publications? Getting they are. Well, obviously, Howard Stern's got a huge, yeah. huge audience. But yeah. You know, like, because you see a lot of the, like, the Business Insider, the Forbes, the Entrepreneur. Yep. Yeah. But like you said, it's all, it's all somewhere on their, somewhere online. Right. Right. Not actually in the magazine. Did, did the smaller ones like that actually move the needle? Because you see a lot of, many, many of our mutual friends are in, a lot of the times, those on the websites. Yeah. Does that, yeah. does that, how beneficial is that for people? Well, so I'll answer it two ways. So it, you know, it is a needle mover for a couple of different reasons. So I tell all my clients, look. You really want to be on TV because a lot of my clients say, you know, I don't want to travel. I don't need to be on TV. I'm, I'm in this space. And the people that are watching the television show are not my ideal client, right? If it's Good Morning San Francisco or Good Morning San Diego or whatever, you know, probably I'm not going to get a single client that calls me because they saw me on TV, right? But here's what I explained to them. When I use my media placements, my television, et cetera, and I post it on my social media, I will get clients almost every single time from my own social media following because they saw I was on television. More than that, it, it is a forever credibility and authority source. So one is even if you're in a space where your ideal client is not watching that show, you should have some TV and some media. However, there are certain spaces like financial services. You know, I, I was on mass market radio. I mean, a publishing company on mass market radio doesn't do anything, but a finance person, everybody is interested in making more money or saving money or whatever. So there are certain things like, you know, fitness or, you know, health uh, or finances where it will move the needle for sales of your book as well as for real income. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, the low times, 2008, awful yeah. How, how do you actually do we have to keep talking about yeah. that? <laughs> let's, let's twist the knife even more. How do you actually define failure? Yeah, you know, looking back, I define it differently now as I'm older than I did when I was a kid, right? So I think, and I'll give a comparison, I think in the past I would have defined it as, you know, that business failed. That was a business failure. But I, I think looking back now, I think failure is defined by giving up or quitting. 
And, and, and look, in some cases, you need to give up or quit because maybe that's not going in the direction. And so it's more not quitting, but more adjusting. Mm. How, do you, how do you know whether or not to quit? Because a yeah. lot of people go down that road. Because this is something I talk to a few people about. Yep. Is because you always hear the stories about like, three feet from gold, but you yeah. turned away and yeah. So how do you know, like, if 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 you know everything you want's on the other side of a few more steps, right? Or if you haven't, like, like you said, you went, you kept going and going and going and yeah. putting putting your own personal money into the business, yeah. Just going deeper and down I the well. I wish I'd quit earlier, right? But yeah. how do you, how do you know when? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I wasn't a kid then, all right? I was in my early 40s, and I was in real estate a long time, and I still made every mistake in the book. So, you know, I don't know if you if you ever know for sure until you're on the other side of it. That's a crappy answer, right? <laughs> yeah, you um, got to do make the best decision with the information I, you have. I think you do, and I, I think, you know, there there are two things that I that I try to think of now when it comes to that. Number one is I want to have, you know, great, advisors around me. I think what I had around me at that time were were smart people, but they were smart people with uh, similar experiences to mine. And so I didn't have any contrarians around me. Now I, I have, you know, I am a contrarian, right? I mean, now I have people around me that, you know, some think this and some think that. And, you know, when you get a diversity of, of smart opinions, you know, it brings clarity. It really does. When when everyone is a yes man and everybody is thinking the same way you are, what, I mean, what good is that? It was no good to me there. So so number one, I like to have a diversity uh, of opinions. And number two, I mean, the market always, I feel like if we're talking business, the market always answers. And so, you know, if you're decent at marketing and you've tried X, Y, and Z and you can't make it work, then the market is telling you that that you're trying to do something that the market just is not interested in. And maybe you're not the first person that thought of it, but maybe all the other people that thought of it failed at it too because the market just doesn't care. So I'm just, <laughs> just for a little context, I'm just looking at your head right in front of me, but then I see the shark in the background. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to listen. And then I'm looking, I'm like, is that a shark beside this? That is a shark. <laughs> What's the shark for? You know, my wife buys me cool things at various places. Like she bought that big A, oh, yeah. which stands for authors. And, you know, what is that? It's a big metal A. Right. I mean, what is that? <laughs> and then she found this shark. And one of my business partners is Kevin Harrington of, of Shark Tank. Yeah. And so, you know. You with his book? I helped him with his book. In fact, uh, where is it? Here it is. Get a picture of the shark in the A. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> and so, um, so I don't know. Maybe when I was when Kevin and I were negotiating, um, she found that. I don't remember the timing on it, it, but it was it was a little along those along those got lines it, of the, the Shark Tank thing. Very so, cool. Yeah, it was fun. How is he, by the way? Nice guy. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No, he is. He is a genuine dude. You know, I've met a, a lot, not a lot, but he's, I've he's, met. He's a Florida guy too, right? He is. He lives in the Tampa St. Pete area. Been around the block. Super, super successful and, and, and shared in a lot of people's successes. Uh, like he's the guy that started the George Foreman Grill. Uh, yeah, he was crazy. the guy behind it. You know, that did 400 to 500 million. He's the guy behind the Ginsu knife. That's going way back when it comes to the original infomercials oh, yeah. and that kind of thing. So, I mean, the dude's seen a lot. He's really, really smart, but uh, not full of himself at all. Great guy. Yeah. Cool. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. No, he's <laughs> awesome. So what's the, what's, if you have to think, what's the last thing you've done to get outside your comfort zone? Yeah. 
You know, um, I like being comfortable. <laughs> we were talking to you. Yeah, you, you have your Thursday golf. You have your Monday night scotch and cigars. cigars I know. Got your buddies over. I know. I know. I, I work very hard yeah. to be comfortable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> isn't that funny? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, relationships and all that's really important to me. I would have to say that it's, it's always, not always, but it's mainly centered around my, my business. I'm always looking for ways to, you know, push the envelope a little bit more. So, uh, you know, if it's, you know, just hired someone new today that I don't really need, but that I think could really help us to grow the company in a new direction. And it means a large capital outlay, which I could use for scotch, cigars, and golf, <laughs> right? So, you know, that is a little uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I think also along the, the business lines, Working with people that you really, really like can be uncomfortable, which is weird um, to say that. I would only want to work with people I really, really like. But, you know, I have a, a staff that we're, you know, you know, even more like family. And that creates some nuance and, and difference that makes me uncomfortable mm, sometimes. Like in what way? Well, you know, how easy would it be to, you know, be nameless and faceless and, you know, right? Just right. selling info products and, you know, not not being you know, the guy, right? And so I, I, you know, I feel like I don't just support my family. I, su I feel like I support a, a dozen plus other families. And, 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 you know, I mean, I'm, I care, I, I'm a spiritual person. I care about these people. I, I, I know they have hopes and dreams like I do, right? And they have hopes and dreams for their kids like I do. And so there is that added uncomfortability in my life where I think, you know, wow, it, it'd be easier without, you know, a lot of employees, but I couldn't do what I do, of course, and I wouldn't have as rich a life. Have you had to let go anybody that you really care about? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it was awful. It was awful. I, I had an experience with somebody that that needed to be fired because of, of you know, some terrible things that went on, and they just wept, you know, um, begging for another chance. And I, I mean, I really thought about it prayed about it, got advice about it, and felt like the best thing for this person is they need to hit bottom. And and if this is part of hitting bottom, then this needs to be it. But I, I, I couldn't I couldn't extend another opportunity. That was terrible. Cause I because everything in me wanted to, if you if you know oh, what yeah. I mean by that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The personal emotional side you want to you want to take care of them you want them to sure. stop crying you want oh, yeah. them to be okay oh yeah but at the same time oh yeah it's not that I'm a that... terrible people yeah. people pleaser man <laughs> you know what i mean oh yeah i just want people to be happy around yeah. me you yeah. know and you know when you're the source of their unhappiness oh that just sucks you know but you let them stay on then it starts affecting everything else right yeah i mean look i mean at that point i let them stay on to the point where they were, where it was already affecting the culture and everything within the company, and so I had already done damage by allowing that. And you know, I mean, you could say that it was a justification, or you know, I was trying to rationalize that this is better for them. But the truth of the matter was that it, it was better for both them and for us, and it doesn't make it any less painful. Yeah, yeah. If you had to lay out a challenge for us something that would help us get outside our comfort zone. Yeah. Because the whole idea here is if you're not failing, you're not really growing. Right. So it's putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and 
just pushing yourself a little bit to, to grow. Yeah. What would be a challenge that you'd lay out for us? You know, I, here's what I'd say, you know, money, cause I guess we'll talk about this in a business respect, right? So money always comes from people, right? Forget the product that you're selling. And you know, it's, it's always about people. And I think so many, especially maybe even in this generation, you know, want a way to extract money without the the people. <laughs> Especially nowadays, like you know, like we were talking, click funnels. Totally, everything. It's everything can be done online, but you lose the connection. You do, and so I guess if if I were to share anything, I would say get on the phone and sell stuff to people. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. That's good. Get on the phone. And, and don't be afraid and, you know, find the need and meet the need and sell it. And, you know, I mean, that there's, there's, you'll never get greater feedback on your thing than when you're actually on the phone. I mean, I can give a hundred reasons yeah. as to why you should do it. But if I were to say anything about getting outside your comfort zone is get on the dang telephone or see somebody face to face and sell them. What That's, if they don't have anything to sell necessarily at this moment? You know, then I'd say what they could do is they could get face to face with somebody and just have the conversation of, okay, what would you buy? You know what I mean? Let's figure out, you know, if here, here's what I do, here's what I have, here's, here's my, my wealth of information. What of this is of interest to you? That's an uncomfortable conversation. And, you know, I mean, you might be surprised at what you learn from that. Because everybody's skilled, skilled at something, right? Oh, yeah, of course. They, they might discount it, but everybody has a skill that somebody else looks at them and is like, oh, wow, they're good at that. Absolutely. But it's second nature to you, so you don't always see that. Yep. So I think it's, uh, I think it's great. So I don't think you ever see it. I think that's the problem. When you're really good at something, you become kind of unconscious. Yeah, you just do it. it. Yep. And, and that's when you're really good at it, but that's also dangerous because people... People see it, but you don't. And because of that, you totally discount the real impact that you totally. could make. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a great, that's a great one. Great. Like if you don't have a business idea or you don't have anything to sell at this point, go have that conversation with somebody and see what they see in you. Yep. That you don't, that maybe it's blind to you because you, you just do it second nature. Love it. Love cool. it. Cool. So what are you most excited about moving forward? You know, I've, I have always something with business. So, you know, we have a bunch of new projects I mentioned to you. You know, we just hired somebody that we're looking to help scale things business-wise. So, you know, I, I always, I love what I do. I really enjoy it. And I think, you know, I think the sky is kind of the limit. Do you have, a grand, do you have a grand vision for, for bestseller publishing? Yeah. Wow. You know, I should, right? Ah, I don't. I, don't, <laughs> like, I, I told you, like you asked me what I'm doing with this podcast. I said, I don't know. <laughs> All right, fair well, enough. We'll see. <laughs> you know, I'd like to say that I do. I, I, I mean, certainly have vision where I'd, where I'd like to see it go, but I don't have a grand vision. I, I really like what I'm doing. I really see the need in the marketplace. The market has responded and, and the need clearly is there. I think what I'd like to continue doing is working and really helping people to transform their their businesses by, you know, creating this centerpiece, this book and this persona, this this authority person. You know, I I just want to do that more. You know, that's that just sounds like Rob's comfortable. 
Ah, where's 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 the scotch? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's no. in my cabinet at home. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Thanks, man. I, I don't want to take too much of your time, so no, I appreciate you sitting down with me today. Thanks, brother. Great being with you, man. And thanks for coming out to Pasadena. And thanks for lunch. All right. My All pleasure. Right. Talk to you next time, Rob. Okay, buddy. All right, so you can find Rob at Rob Cosberg on Twitter. That's at Rob Cosberg. And, of course, for that spelling and all the links and resources Rob and I discussed, including more information on his website and coaching programs, it can all be found at the page we created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 036. And next week we are sitting down with my friend John Romaniello. John is one of the most highly regarded experts in the fitness industry. He has written for a myriad of publications ranging from Men's Health to Fast Company. He's the author of hundreds of articles, dozens of e-products, and one New York Times best-selling book. Roman is an angel investor, and he also serves as an advisor to nearly a dozen fitness and tech companies. In this episode, he'll be sharing how he actually develops strong relationships with his audience through through storytelling, not only in his articles, but also on social media. And we'll discuss what he has coming up along with a really cool $250,000 selfie story. Don't miss it. It's coming up next. And if the podcast is providing value to your life and your business, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me rob at failon.com and let me know what your biggest takeaway has been from the podcast, from this episode, and where you're at with your business and what your biggest struggle is right now. And as I continue to build Failon with the goal of helping employees become entrepreneurs through high-ticket coaching and consulting businesses that leverage paid traffic, I'd be really grateful for a couple things that are so small but matter so much to me. Subscribing to the podcast takes just a single click and helps the show get found by more people. And of course, when more people can find the show, it means it can help more people, which in returns means you are helping people by simply subscribing. To subscribe and rate and review the podcast, really easy. Just go to failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.